0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Brainy SLP podcast. My name is Danielle Kent, and I am a mom, wife, and multi-passionate SLP, wild about equipping parents and professionals to confidently teach problem solving, socialization, communication, and play to all of our neurodiverse learners. By making our practices inclusive, we can reach all learners. All brains are amazing, and understanding neurodiversity is key to our future. Let's go. Hello everyone. Welcome to episode eight of the Brainy SLP podcast. My name is Danielle Kent and I am so excited to be back here for episode eight. Um, So if you haven't listened to episode seven, press pause, go listen to the episode first and then come back, but come back real quick. (laughs) I always try and make these episodes really short so you can digest several episodes at once if you want Um, Or if you're just on a quick walk or you're on a quick drive, you can take a listen to the podcast and get some real tangible information. So today's episode is about teaching play skills really through a toolbox method lens. Um, So if you listen to episode seven, you know that I want you to be approaching play intervention through the all play is awesome concept, Um, really where we honor where everyone is at with their play. Like all brains are awesome. All play is awesome. And we can really equip all learners to be more successful with play. And, um, successful to me really means that each child is having fun in play and is engaged in play. Um, and I think that engagement also for me means that they have that level of internal motivation to participate in the play. So I'm really considering what's naturally uh, motivating for that child. And I think, um, just as a side note, when we think about as adults and we ask questions like, how do I motivate a child? I just want to counter that thinking. We typically don't motivate other people. Motivation is an internal drive. People are motivated. You and I can can be motivated by something, but it's typically driven by something we're already engaged with. So thinking about what's engaging for a child, what are they kind of naturally already really loving and enjoying and creating a framework around that. To support teaching of play skills, I want to be really thoughtful in in defining that success. Does not mean that all play looks alike, or that I'm cur- encouraging some kids to mask traits or to be like the others. Um, I definitely think in the past I did. I know I used a lot of frameworks that were really encouraging, kind of neurotypicality. And this is where I I am quite on you know honest about my journey. You know, especially over the last year. But even before that, for a little bit, I had started to learn more from autistic individuals, you know, specifically, and then, of you know, neurodiverse individuals who are really teaching on um, just how harmful it can be to mask. And um, if you aren't sure what I mean by masking, um, really, I want you to go follow the hashtag actually autistic on social media. Masking is when um, individuals feel like they need to cover up um, and specifically related to autism, cover up their autistic traits like stimming. And I want to make sure that um, when we think about success and play, it's not encouraging others to mask. Um, And as we know, the research suggests young girls especially are vulnerable to masking that they, from an early age, get the message to mask their autistic traits. Um, And I just want to be really thoughtful about that and, and you want to listen to the stories of autistic adults who are really telling us about that story and so that we can do better for the future. Um, be willing to learn and unlearn what you know about neuro di- neurodiversity and neurotypicality, especially as it relates to the work we do as professionals. Um, I think when I, you know, going back to last week's episode, I mentioned the pathology component of what I do, the disorder part of what I do. And that is a huge part of, you know, the diagnostic process as an SLP. One of the most important things I'm trying to counter with my understanding is really kind of celebrating each person's strengths and identity and really moving forward with that and and equipping and empowering all learners to have a full toolbox to be successful with playing. Um, I, I always tell my students, I want you to be successful in the classroom and on the playground because both of those areas matter. So I often explain to kids that playing involves using our brain toolbox. We have to figure out how to get started, Um, which often involves knowing what to play with, how to initiate with others, or respond to others' requests for play, or other ideas for play, and how to manage our time within play. We also have to have skills like organization. We have to know where we put our toys, how to put our toys away, how to put toys together, and how to get more toys and materials um, we really need those tools, really need these tools in our brain toolbox to equip ourselves to keep going, especially if there's a breakdown. Think about your average repair person. If they go in to fix a job and they don't have the right tools, they can't really stay and fix the problem, right? But we often expect this of kids. We expect that even though they might not have a full toolbox to problem solve independently, we ask them to. We ask them to to, through self-regulation or self-management of self. And I think that what's most important is that we first we do presume competence and the ability to learn, but we don't presume that everyone's toolbox is equally full to navigate problem-solving together. The heart of play, especially as students get older, is navigating problems together and building relationships together. So one of the most important things about building that social capital is that we're in this together so if i need help you'll come help me if you need help i'll come help you and we kind of bounce that back and forth it's building that relationship and um i think we can presu- that that presumption of of competence is really important i think sometimes um skills are under assumed or or um they are perceived to be lower than what they truly are. So we presume competence, we presume the ability to learn in all of our learners, but we don't presume that everyone's toolbox is equally full. So when I think about breakdown in play, breakdowns in play, there are three kind of phases when I think about play. There's the getting ready for play or the making a, you know, a plan for play. There's the within play. So you get started, you get ready, you get set up, and then you get you play, and and then there's the ending play and transitioning away from a current activity and starting the next activity. So kind of closing one loop and starting another. And whether that's um, like closing a loop to go to the circle, closing a loop to go to lunch, closing a loop to go on to your next class, whatever it is, it's closing that loop to go on to the next thing and starting the next thing. If a child is having a harder time with understanding the social aspects of play, um, relating to others, initiating and maintaining interactions, negotiating play, then really teaching understanding of concepts like theory of mind, um, the three stages of conversation, uh, reading paralinguistic and extralinguistic information. These are going to be really helpful tools to support learners to be successful. I always say, um, to students, I want your toolbox to be full so you know how to decode information and be successful in a way that matters for you and to be able to advocate for yourself. Um, so those are the that, that's something that I tell my students often. If a child is having a hard time with objects, so knowing what to do in play and how to kind of be successful with objects in play, we really look at their ability to imitate Um, So in my teaching and raising problem solvers curriculum coming out next March, I'll be talking a little bit more on reciprocal imitation training, RIT. If you haven't heard of it, look it up and make sure to join the curriculum. RIT is a naturalistic intervention that teaches social use of imitation for children, specifically with autism. So there are some important components of RIT. There's contingent imitation, linguistic mapping, modeling, Social praise and contingent imitation and prompting. Contingent imitation is that the adult starts by imitating the child's actions, gestures, and or sounds during play using a duplicate set of toys. So if you're working with a child, you'd have a duplicate set of toys that they're using and you start to imitate their actions. The next step is linguistic mapping. The adult describes what the child is doing using simple language. The next step is modeling. Once a child has noticed that the adult is imitating them, as we start with the first step of contingent imitation, the adult demonstrates a familiar action with a, with a child's object. The next step is social praise and contingent imitation. These are social reinforcers um, that are used at any point that the child attempts to imitate, even if it's not really one hundred percent accurate. The last step is prompting. If the child isn't imitating the adult's model, the adult models the action and uses a verbal marker that describes it, like, like uh, beep, beep, the horn is loud. The adult typically doesn't use specific commands like do this or push the button. And this is Hanen makes his recommendation because they don't want the child to become prompt dependent. Instead, the adult's verbal model typically draws attention to the action. The last step is they do recommend a hand over hand, um, but I typically refrain from using hand over hand, mainly because of the voices of the autistic community and the voices from the neurodiversity community that talks about the harm of hand over hand. So I'll try and go back and loop back, starting with contingent imitation and then moving through the steps and the sequences. So that's kind of taking a look at the two areas you have objects within play and social relationships within play. So those are those are two of the main components to start thinking about that you can start filling up everyone's toolbox. And remember, the real key here is that we're equipping all students with a full toolbox. So know that whatever specific strategies you might be teaching with one student, probably the whole class could benefit. Remember the double empathy problem I talked about last podcast? This tells us that all learners can benefit from learning strategies for how to play better with others, meaning accepting everyone's form of play and interacting with all communicators. As I say, all brains are awesome and all play is amazing. Can't wait to see you next time for the Brainy SLP podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Brainy SLP podcast. All parents and professionals welcome with a focus on neurodiversity and inclusion. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to find me on social media on Instagram at Miss Danielle Kent or at Danielle Kent. I would love to connect. I believe there's power in connection and we all can learn from each other and our experiences. See you next time.